This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hey, I'm Bev Jones, and this is Just About Work, where we talk about everything that can have an impact on your career. Today, we're talking with Carrie Hannon, a noted authority on work, money, and career. For two decades, Carrie has been covering all aspects of careers and personal finance as an author, columnist, editor, speaker, and writer for leading media organizations like the New York Times, Forbes, Money, and the Wall Street Journal. Today, we will focus on my favorite of Carrie's many books, Love Your Job. This book is a guide to making your work fulfilling and fun. When I talk to clients who are totally stuck, maybe you get bored, maybe you've done the same thing so many times, and not everybody can just switch jobs. Sometimes you totally feel stuck. One of the things I often do is recommend that they read Carrie Hannon's terrific book, Love Your Job, which is just full of tips and strategies that maybe Carrie can share with us. But first, Carrie, I I, I have to ask you, How'd you get so smart? <laughs> did you? I, I, I know you've done research and interviews and all of those kind of things, but is, is some of this pulling up on your personal experience? Were there times that you just felt bogged down and just had to do something? Well, you know, Bev, I think that's absolutely uh, true. And I, all of the work we do always sort of reflects in some way on a, on a path that we've sort of encountered ourselves or a roadblock of some sort. So, you know, while I'm just fascinated by this whole topic of careers and what we do each day to make a living and make a difference, uh, and, and have spent a number of years, you know, really researching this and talking to you as well, one of my favorite experts in the field. Um, but for me, Bev, what really happened to kind of start the light bulb uh, in this direction in terms of thinking of how to make an internal, and in my case, a somewhat external change, was really finding I was in a job that, for me, was my dream job. I mean, it was a job I put on my list when I was pretty young that I wanted to have a column in a national newspaper with my picture on it. I thought that was like the ultimate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I got that. I mean, believe it or not, I attained that goal. And I was miserable. I was so miserable. I, that job was so difficult for me and not because of the work but because I felt trapped. And one day I was walking on the beach in Florida with my father, and he said, how are you doing? And I said, just what I told you, I said, I'm miserable. And he said, quit. And in this instance, I went back three days later and I quit that job. Now, I don't recommend that everyone does that. (laughs) Not everybody can do that. (laughs) Because I think there are ways you can learn to love the job you have, because when you make that type of big change, it's a lot harder than anyone ever imagined. So if you can fall in love with where you are right now, you're way ahead of the curve. Absolutely. One of the things that I find so helpful with the book, Love Your Job, is that in the second chapter, you say, all right, take responsibility, get started, here's a blueprint. When, when you're talking to somebody at an event or something and you just want to give them some quick guidance to get started on that blueprint, print. Where, where do you suggest people start? Well, you know, uh, it's really important to sit down 
and do a sort of, you know, a come to clarity meeting with yourself. You know, start a journal that says, what is it that's troubling you each day? What is it about your job you don't like? What is it about your job you do like? And they, because there are things you like about your job, you've just forgotten about it. And you're, you're kind of caught up in the day-to-day, whatever it might be going, swirling around your office place. And a lot of times we need to just step back and say, okay, what is it that I do like? What is it that I don't like? And then also look around you. What are some jobs that people in your organization are doing that you'd love to do? Or someone in that organization who you really admire and you say, what is it that they bring to their job that, that I find attractive and appealing? And what can I, how can I incorporate that in my own work? And one thing, Bev, I think you say often to your clients as well is often one reason that we're unhappy in our jobs is because we're bored. Yeah. And we don't recognize it as being bored, but in fact, that's what it is. You're kind of stuck in a moment. So I believe that there, and that's a whole other path of things you can do to sort of shake that up. But those are the two things I recommend people to start thinking about. You know, something, uh, building on that, something that I tell people when you just don't know where to begin learn something new <laughs> that's it you know that's that shakes out that boredom doesn't it yeah, and it almost doesn't matter what it is I often suggest um, something that's tangentially related to work but I've noticed that if you learn something new and in, in your um, hobby or in an interest or you find a new interest or you get that excitement, and it changes the way you perceive things. When you're in learning mode, everything looks different. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we, you and I have had this a conversation about leaders and leadership and what makes a great leader before. And one of the things, if you really look at what makes these folks achievers, it's because they're constantly learning. They're reading. It's lifetime learning. And sometimes when we get far along in our career, we forget about that. We sort of are so caught up in the day-to-day, we forget to stretch and to push ourselves to learn something that maybe is hard to learn or something that is not just related to work because we think we only have time to do the work stuff. But what the heck, if you can switch off and just maybe learn something about an area that you're passionate about, you recharge in a way that you didn't expect. That's a really important point. I um, notice that you're a good example of that, too. I hear from a lot of clients, and, and there's sort of a self-important tone they sometimes take. I'm so busy. I've got so many <laughs> things to do. You know, Things will fall apart if I'm not on it 24-7. And they're not sure. finding time to have a life. But one of the things that amazes me about you is, Carrie, you work, it looks like, all the time. You travel. You've got stacks of books. You've got columns here and there. But you also are passionate about um, the thing you love the most, horses. So how do you in your mind allow yourself to invest so much in this pastime, money and time and energy, at the same time you're a pretty career-driven person? How do you, how do you do, bring those two <laughs> things together? Well, I often apply the same principles to, of my career to my hobby. And, you know, I got to say, when you uh, compete with horses, it's a little bit more than a hobby because it's not I didn't know what to call it. It's a passion. It's not it's a something passion. you can just do halfway. Believe me, if you're sitting and running and cantering down to jumps on a thousand pound animal, it's more than a hobby. <laughs> but, I, but it's a good way to, to look at it for most folks. And the thing is, I love horses since I was six years of age, maybe younger. This has been my passion. So 
I've had to take time off during t- points in my career, like when I was living in New York City, it was a little hard to organize. But um, I make a point to carve out that time, and so I get up super early in the morning so I can get work done for a couple of hours, and then I can go spend time with my horse and practicing and what I need to do there. Then I get back on to work, but I'm recharged again. I'm, I'm psyched to get back to work, too, and it gives me a lot of incentives. Um, but, but one of the things that's important that I started to say is that I set goals for myself, and they're achievable goals and stretch goals, just like I do for my work. So I, when, like, for example, yesterday, uh, I, I had a horse show, and I was up at 4.30 in the morning, and I was on my horse before the sun came up at 6, and it was magnificent, <laughs> and I, I was home and at work again by 11.30 uh, after competing. So it was just a way of managing your time, getting enough rest, and eating properly so that I can do all of these things. You mentioned that the horse activity provides an incentive. Um, it's not an inexpensive hobby or pastime or passion, is it? It's, does, does, do you find that it makes, worth, or makes work more meaningful because you have something to uh, be aiming for? Yeah, I definitely have skin in the game, as they say. Uh-huh. So, and, and I always, one of my favorite lines is people, you know, everyone tease, often tease women about having their shoes and spending money on clothes and so forth. And I always say, the horse has the shoes, okay? Uh-huh. So let's just <laughs> have our priorities straight. Um, yes, it's an expensive hobby, and it's one that I know I need for my sanity, for my de-stressing. And so in many ways, I think of it as my, psychiat- my, my psychiatrist, my um, you know, uh, therapist in uh-huh. many ways, so I can justify it. But in fact, it is expensive. So I often will equate... Uh, uh, an assignment that I get or um, some sort of pain opportunity to, okay, well, this will pay the horse board for this month, and this will pay for the shoes. and this will, So it's like, okay, you know, and I'll, I can do that because I know I, you know, in order to do this thing I love, I need to work extra hard to support my lifestyle that, but also, you know, contribute to my family and all the other things we, we spend money on. So when people are stuck and they're they're sort of out of love with their job, and they, they're having trouble motivating themselves. I think one of the things that they can do is make a list of why they're working. <laughs> Perfect. And, and that yes. might include um, that the intellectual achievement or the contribution they're making, but it's also why they want that paycheck, why they want the place in the community, whatever it is. And it's 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 not all bad to recognize that your job is bringing you some things. And that can help you uh, feel more positive about it sometimes, do you think? Oh, definitely makes you feel more positive about it. And in addition to that, I, I think of it as spending on experiences. So, yes, we work hard so that we have we are financially secure and we are saving for our retirement and things that I preach about quite a bit to, to folks to really make sure they have that financial safety net. But once you can achieve that with your work, if you can use some of that payday that you get and the incentive for it to buy yourself these rich experiences, for me, okay, it's being around a horse. Other people, it's traveling or being able to give back to your charity or whatever it is that you care so much mm-hmm. about, you have a well-balanced life. It's not all about work. So you're allowing yourself to work in order to achieve experiences that really build a more balanced, rich life. I noticed uh, in, your, in this book and in other places, you've written a lot about why it's worth 
getting real about your finances and getting them into shape. Many people get bogged down at work because they're overcome with stress, stress from so many things, family life and what the boss is saying. But a a big stressor is that people are worried about paying their bills. They're worried about uh, paying the mortgage, and they feel trapped in their job because they haven't built any nest egg. Do you find that that resonates, that if you can get people to start managing their finances so that they're not so trapped, that that gives them a little more room to enjoy their job and be flexible? Is, do you well, Bev, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I, I, when I speak around the country, one of the things I tell my audiences is you have to get Carrie's fitness program, and the number one piece of that is to be financially fit. And what's so important about that is because debt is a dream killer. And if, you know, if you can just start and do a budget and find ways that you can trim back your lifestyle, find ways that you can, maybe you can refinance your mortgage or if you're at a certain age and the kids have launched and so forth, you can move to a smaller home, pay down some of those big credit card debts. It doesn't happen overnight, but if you can do that, you give yourself this flexibility. You give yourself the opportunities to have choice because when you are worried about money, it takes away your choices. So what happens is if you're at a certain, you know, mid-career or late career and you want to shift into even retirement jobs, it gives you an opportunity to take a job that might not be as much money as you made before. And this is a big concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of older workers I talk to have a lot of trouble because the com- employers think they're too expensive. But if you don't need, if it's not all about the paycheck, then it broadens your scope of what kinds of work you can do that you want to do, and you have the freedom to explore them. Because if you're just all concerned about the paycheck, you are trapped. And that's a really uncomfortable feeling and a very vulnerable feeling. You mentioned the key word flexibility a few times in that excellent comment. Flexibility is uh, part of the answer to that feeling trapped. Are, Are there other ways that you suggest people can find more flexibility in the context of the job they already have? Yeah, one of the most important things, if you talk to to workers about their jobs, and Bev, I know you find this quite a bit when you uh, speak with your clients and so forth, is the things that people really love about their jobs. It's not often, it's not always exactly the job itself. What they love about their job are the people they work with. They love the mission or the cause of the company, the employer, the nonprofit they work for. They love having the opportunity to continue learning, as we talked about before. It might be traveling. But the fifth big piece of that is autonomy. They love feeling like they are in control of their own destiny, Mm -hmm. like if they're in control of their time. So to approach that piece of it, one thing you might explore with your employers, are there ways you can telecommute? Are there ways you can have, you know, um, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of, schedule that you can come in at different times each day. Just loosen it up a little bit so that you have a chance to take control of your schedule. And it may be something you start on a trial basis with your employer. You write down, you know, write it out, make it, you know, write a a proposal of what it might be and say, let's try this for summer is usually a good time to explore doing something like this, work at home two days a week or something. But whatever it might be, look around your office and see if anyone else is doing that and see what you might be able to propose as why it would be good for your employer because that's always the most important thing. They only want to know what's good for them. 
and then you say how you can be a more efficient employee for them this way. We'll be back with more Jazzed About Work. Sometimes the best way to cut through red tape is with sharp skills. The 100% online Masters of Public Administration program from The Ohio University Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs is a program that can help you bolster your passion for public service with the expertise to find solutions. Become an expert communicator. Learn to manage human resources and budgets. Construct effective and actionable policy. Demonstrate your leadership by partnering with the private sector and non-governmental organizations. Three specialized concentrations are available to help you narrow your focus. Public leadership and management, nonprofit management, and environmental and energy policy. Visit ohio.edu backslash MPA. Thinking about what you can do is a theme in your book, but you point out that that requires an attitude adjustment sometimes. I, I love how blunt you are. You just say, stop whining. You know, get, get yourself <laughs> together. That um, controlling the negativity that tends to come when we're feeling trapped is sometimes the starting point. You have to decide that you're going to do something. De- when you go out and you're talking to people and you say, just stop whining, what, what kind of reaction do you get? You know, most people laugh Good. because they know. They know. <laughs> they, they, it hits home. <laughs> yeah, they know they do this, and they know that, that their colleagues do it, and it's sort of we all get stuck in this sort of circle of, of dismay. But um, if you can just make a point of if co- you're around coworkers who are complaining, you know, shift the topic. Walk away if you can. You know, you don't need to get drawn into those kinds of conversations about the negativity. And one, and Bev, I actually think this is one of your exercises. When you have negative refrains going on in your head yeah. about something at work or whether you're not capable of a job because you're too old for it or you're whatever it might be, to just try to write down the negative thing but then find a positive way to reframe it. And you probably have a very good example of how you recommend people do that. Well, one of the things I I do is have people make a list of everything that is causing them to be stuck, everything they hate, everything they dislike, everything that bothers them, and then either find a way to reframe it to find some positive in that or come up with a strategy. If you can't stand the grind of the the commute every day. That's when the flexibility might come in. So the strategy might be coming up with a plan to convince your employer that it's to everybody's benefit if you telecommute one day a week. Whatever it is, it might be learning something new, it might be expanding your social circle, it might be trying a, 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 a different kind of project. If you can, if you can say the thing that you're whining about, that you're complaining about, and um, use that as the starting point for a strategy that overcomes that barrier, that can get you moving. And it, it, it's often good to start kind of small. Uh, if if the what you're complaining about for a lot of people, uh, being bored, um, come up with something interesting to do at lunch or come up with something new to read or um, come up with a, a conversation that might be fun. Coming up with 
a strategy instead of a lament uh, is, a, is, a, is a good way to bring your own new energy to work. The, the other thing, Bev, I was thinking as you were mentioning that is another great thing you can do at work is really, you know, you said do something at lunch. Absolutely. If you can even uh, get a group to go or one or two other people to go walking at lunchtime with you, you, you know, you're, you're working on your physical fitness, which is another thing I preach to people. It's a key. Um, but you're also doing something with your colleagues outside of work, which is building that, those relationships at work. It might even be playing a card game at lunch or, do, or volunteering with coworkers. I think those are really things to con, you know, consider doing as ways to sort of expand that, that workspace and find ways to, to jump out of that. And, and another thing um, we often forget to do is to think about, you know, put visual imagery in our offices, too. I mean, things that make you, that sort of inse- is why you're working. And maybe I would have a picture of, for me, the Virginia countryside or a horse or something that sort of, for just a little while, you can pump the brakes during a work day and just turn away from your computer, turn away from the work. And, and really, uh, you know, let yourself take a few minutes to decompress and, and go to your quiet place or your happy place, as I like to call it. And the third thing would be, you know, say good job to your other colleagues. If someone's had a win day, maybe you've had a lousy day, but they just got something wonderful, a project was approved, or they won some award, whatever it might be, you know, remember to um, say something nice to your colleagues because, you know, it, it really makes you feel better when yeah. you compliment other people, and it makes them feel good, and it builds camaraderie in the office. So, you know, it's, it's just because you may not be having a great stretch at work. Somebody else might be, and it's good to pay attention. I had a client one time years ago who had some 360 feedback that the people who worked for him and the people he worked with found him difficult to be around because he was so negative. He just never said anything nice. And his attitude was he was working with a bunch of lawyers. These lawyers are grown-ups. If um, I'm not saying anything bad, then they know they're doing okay. Why should I say nice things? So we came up with an exercise where he would create a little stack of quarters on his desk. Sometimes he would put them in his pocket. Sometimes he would just um, move them from one side of his desk to the other. The idea was that he had to move all of the quarters into a a, a special place. And each quarter, each time he moved it, represented that he had said something nice to somebody. (laughs) I love it. So he had to to move at least five quarters a day, whether (laughs) he felt positive or not. He would go out of his office. He would go around. He would um, look for an opportunity to say something nice. And when we touch base after the first week or two he was doing this, he said, I think I need more practice. He said, I'm just not good at uh, saying nice things, so I'm going to have five quarters when I'm at home, too, and I'm going to practice more because it's it's harder than I thought. So he practiced with his family. He practiced with the barista. He practiced when he was walking (laughs) around in the neighborhood. And after a few weeks, he I said, how's it going? And he said, I never knew this would be so much fun. He said, this is the most fun I've had. He said, I, I'm, I'm connecting with people. He said, I, I, it's just so easy to find nice things to say. And then finally, after a couple months, he said, I'll never need these quarters again. He said, I am addicted to this habit. And he said, it's, it's cool that it makes other people feel better. But he said, what I didn't know is that it made me feel better. So he said, I'm having so much more fun at work 
than I ever thought I could because every time somebody else smiles or says something nice back to me, it's just I get this little charge. I never knew about that little charge. (laughs) <laughs> so so focusing on other people and their problems and their needs and their opportunities is a great strategy when you're feeling bored and, and, and you just can't see anything new. Maybe it's time to mentor somebody or maybe it's time to take interest in somebody else's work or maybe it's time to look around and see who's really going through a crisis with a sick spouse or something and say, okay, I'm going to shift some of my focus over on this other person and, and, and see if that can help shake up your perspective. I think that's so true, Bev. And if, mentoring in particular is such an important thing to do. And when you're giving back that way, it not only is helping someone else, but it, it, it appeals to this part of our human nature that we want to feel needed and we want to feel relevant and valued. And sometimes our bosses can't give that to us in the mm-hmm. workplace. Yeah. But but by giving back to a younger colleague or someone even you know a peer that needs some assistance in a certain area where you're stronger or more uh, skilled in, it really does reflect really nicely um, on on how you feel about your work and what you're doing each day, and um, giving you a reason to get up in the morning. And of course, sort of humorous sidelight to to this uh, bit about the quarters and all of that is. Gallup did a poll, maybe it was a year or so ago, I can't remember exactly, but they found that employees who laugh and smile more in the workplace are more engaged in their jobs. Yes. And it's a really important thing to notice because, in fact, you know, when you are on that, you know, on that path where you're feeling the more positive vibes, you do feel better about your job. You do want to do a better job at work. It's, it's, it becomes you know, fun, and I'm not, you know, using that word lightly, it really becomes something that that is a joy, you know, an experience that we want to be part of. There's some neuroscience research that goes along with that kind of polling research that suggests that the old advice about smile really works. I hear people say, I can't go out and smile at people if I don't really feel that way. It's not Mm -hmm. authentic. I want to be the real me. I don't want to be fake. Well, well, the fact is, if you smile, you're emotional state, the chemicals in the body that help produce that emotional state will shift a bit to um, reflect the smile. So there's a, a, a transaction that happens with another person. If you go and you start a conversation and you smile and, and, and try to say something light, they smile back, then you respond to their smile and you respond to your own smile. And that kind of can go back and forth. So in a fairly brief transaction, if you're smiling at each other, if you're laughing, you're both changing the state of your body chemistry, your state of being, your emotional state. It, it, it really, truly works. And we know that now. We thought it did before, but now we know it because with um, new neuroscience measuring devices, when we see how your brain lights up and how your body is functioning, we can see smiles work. They can be a good starting point. You mentioned something in uh, a, a bit ago that I also want to suggest. If people are looking for something that they can do today to feel better, and that's walking. Yeah, walking really generates a change. Huge, and it doesn't. It can be walking, but just to get some sort of fitness program. I have, when I speak to audiences, I have over 50 looking for work or in their jobs and they're burned out and they don't know what to do. 
you know, one of the best things I tell them is get a fitness program, and it's not running a fast mile or bench pressing. It really is what you just said, Beth. It's, you know, walking a half an hour a day. It is swimming. It is doing something that gets you physically fit because when you're physically fit, you feel better about yourself. You give off this positivity, this sort of can-do spirit that your boss or your colleagues, people around you notice it. You know, they say, I want what she has or I want what he has. They don't know exactly what it is, but you bring to this, this energy and this spirit to your work, and that's invaluable. And if people who are job hunting and they're worried about ageism and, you know, do, should I have Botox, should I dye my hair? I'm like, yeah, if you really want to, don't do it right before the interview. But for gosh sakes, get yourself physically fit because people do judge a book by its cover. But not only that, do you look better, you are happier, you are more yeah. vibrant, and it's critical to enjoy not only your day-to-day life in general, but in the work we do, you bring to it this energy that you you just really don't recognize. And, and going along with the exercise, Bev, as you know, it's, it's nutrition, it's eating properly, it's all of that. It's the whole package. Well, if people are looking for something they can do today, maybe they can combine some of these things. I have clients who've taken up walking, and maybe they're in a huge building or they're in a neighborhood where they can walk around the block, and they invite somebody along. If you invite a junior person, if you invite somebody who maybe needs some attention and you go for a 10 or 15 minute walk together in the middle of the morning, that'll pump you both up and it'll give you a chance to focus on another person at the same time you're taking care of yourself. So that might be the um, the, the strategy uh, I, to try for today if you're looking for a starting point. Now, Bev, one other thing that we should tell listeners, though, is one of your favorite things that's now become one of mine is to, very simple thing you can get started with, is declutter your office. Yes. Because once you do that, and I'm going to paraphrase you, and you can go off on it if you want, is that it forces you to make decisions about, I value this, I don't value that. Exactly. And you learn to start making decisions about your work and your job and your life because it gets you in that thinking mode about, you know, what are the choices? What do you care about? And I think... We often look around our offices and they're just packed and you feel stuck and I can't get through these things. But one, it's liberating. So maybe if, that's, if you have more on that topic, but I just love that as an easy step. Yeah, I think one thing to do if you're overwhelmed with stuff everywhere, whether it's in, on your uh, computer desktop or your real desktop, you get distracted and confused. But if you want to do one thing today, spend 15 minutes and get rid of some stuff. That's a, a, a great way to um, just get some new energy and, and refocus on the things that matter. Well, I think those are a few good tips for people who want to go out and, and um, get a little bit unstuck. Do you have any uh, final thoughts, Carrie, on how people can get moving today? Well, one, you know, volunteer. <laughs> Seriously, if yeah. you can find time to do some sort of volunteer effort through your employer with coworkers, do it because it goes back to what something you uh, you and I were speaking about earlier, Bev, is this idea of doing something for other people. It makes you feel better and it makes a difference. So if you can carve out a little time, and this also involves, you know, you're building your relationship with colleagues at work, you're networking, you may be volunteering if it's a, through your work, you're volunteering with some higher ups which is a wonderful way to get uh, get to know them outside of a specific job. 
that you're doing and you may get recognized and start building a relationship with somebody, it's just really an important part of, of working that I think a lot of us overlook because it's in that category of I don't have time. Helping other people is a great way to bring energy to your career. And I want to thank you, Carrie, for joining me today and helping me in so many ways as we continue <laughs> well, to explore <laughs> these issues. It's always a pleasure. We always have fun, and I always have more energy after talking with you. So thanks much, and I hope we get to talk together soon. Great. Thank you, Beth. Today we've been talking with Carrie Hannon, a leading career expert and author of the inspirational and practical book, Love Your Job. And here's today's tip. If you hate your job, but you just can't leave, maybe it's time to stop complaining and do something. There's plenty you can do, like shift your attitude, connect with other people, and try something new. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. And I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO.